Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Hello, pop culture nerds, and welcome back to Digital Dissection. Today, we're happy to introduce you to one of our favorite artists across commercials, toys, and many popular video game series. He's voiced a Ninja Turtle, an arm-flailing boat salesman, and Mm -hmm. many know him as Kenny from Telltale Games, The Walking Dead. Welcome to the show, Gavin Hammond. How are we doing, Gavin? Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm I'm swell. How are you guys? We're doing great over here. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing okay despite the fact that my mustache is is just horrible, and I'm sorry you have to see it. No, um, I'm liking it. I'm digging it. It's a choice. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Who said that? Who told you that? It is, it is, it a, is three a choice. It is a three-piece stash. It's like a it suit a for your face, and you should yeah. not like back down from that. Own it. So, like, the soul patch is kind of the vest, right? Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is the coat. And yeah. the, the pants right there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's it is it is Joe a, and I, I never... we just fill it all out. Yep. It's easier. Way. Yeah. This is low uh, maintenance. Right. This way. Yep. Mm-hmm. What what you're seeing here is what happens when your mom's Filipino and your dad is like just full on <laughs> German. So I yes. got the Fu Manchu and then all the other armies kind of just retreated in this area. Yeah. Um, so and so we are an audio in their yeah. territory. Occupying their territory. <laughs> yeah. Strategic. Yeah. It was strategic that they left. They knew they couldn't grow there. <laughs> but, but yes, Gavin, it's awesome to have you, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's you know summer. So I'm a I'm a pretty avid gardener. So I'm I'm pretty deep into the 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 gardening season right now with my peppers and tomatoes coming in. So yeah, oh, it's man. good. And most of the work these days, thanks to COVID, you know, knock on would i guess is um is from home which is uh a silver lining for sure so most of the stuff that we have to do i don't have to go anywhere i just go like over there yeah that is (laughs) always a plus i mean it's you're you're now garden adjacent when you are working so very very quickly go and do something in the garden not a problem i could even like open those windows and see it from here but i i don't (laughs) know because then i'm gonna have some sun issues on a couple Mm -hmm. of these the, the the whiter toys that I have in here, yeah. We don't need that. Yeah. Don't need that no. yellowing. Happen. No yellowing. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, so we we used to be an audio only program, and now we do the audio and video, as we kind of talked about. And for those that just listen to the audio program, I feel like they're going to be at a disadvantage just not being able to see yeah. the impressive nerdery behind oh, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty nerdy. Um I mean, I'm audio only as well. So so being yeah. on video is weird. But um <laughs> yeah, no there's a lot going on. Um but uh you know, it's uh when you when you're old and you collect things, you accumulate things, which <laughs> I have done. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, yeah. 
Since, uh, since again, since not all of our listeners can see the absolute nerdiness behind you, uh, instead of giving them like a full-on tour, let's kind of dive into more of Gavin, but from a younger (laughs) age, because you grew up in San Francisco, right? I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up um, in uh, Contra Costa County, so about 30 minutes east of, well, 30 minutes as the crow flies Mm -hmm. east of San Francisco. All right. And, and I still live in the Bay Area, so I'm still, you know, right. San Francisco adjacent. Okay. Not bad. Not bad at all. And were you always kind of nerdy from birth, or did something kind of set you along that path? Well, I mean, I'm, uh, I'll am i be 49 pretty soon. So I grew up, I was born in 1973. And so just in terms of how we, you know, accumulate media, um, it was kind of like we would have access to things from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and, you know, things that were current. So it was like, I've always had a pretty, you know, robust mm-hmm. consumption of media, you know, and comics and, you know, uh, comic strips and cartoons, video games, movies. So, yeah, I've always been kind of interested in the minutia of, you know, of all that sort of, I guess, what we're calling geeky culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's cool stuff. Um, I didn't really get into sports <laughs> until um, I got into sports probably about 20 years ago. Um, so that was relatively later in life for me. Um, yeah. But now I'm very much into baseball and basketball. And so I, I have heard that you're a disgruntled A's fan. This uh, season, especially disgruntled. <laughs> <laughs> it's real, real hard to be an A's fan right now. Um, not just because the team is the worst in baseball. They they currently are. Um, I'm hoping that the you know the Cincinnati Cincinnati can really pull it out for us. But, <laughs> um, but no, it's just there was so much really awful um, bad public public relations stuff with um, the the front office and the fan base yeah. um, in the off season. It's real real bad. You know, doubling our season ticket prices, mm-hmm. taking away all any sort of perks or incentives. Uh, don't get me started. No. So it's mm-hmm. a tough time. They don't want fans there, clearly. No, so. I, I've heard they even stopped validating parking for season ticket holders. Is that a true thing? Oh, no. Yeah, you can't get parking included anymore. You got to buy it. Used to get mm-hmm. parking. Um, we used to get parking. We used to get like a like a righteous discount. We'd get, I think it was 50% at one point off concessions, Ooh. which included alcohol which was nuts. Um, But yeah, no discounts are on anything anymore. Um, Our seats went from being 45 ish dollars to um, 70 ish dollars, something like that. Um, Yeah. Just bad. When you see the news and you see people not, you know, at A's games, it's uh, there's a much deeper, you know, a much deeper picture than just the team sucks. (laughs) Or the Coliseum sucks. I love the Coliseum. (sighs) So. Yeah, dude, I, I like I can't help but talk about this for a second. We're not a sports podcast yeah. by any means, but you, you can see you can see that I'm a Yankees fan, and I just yeah, wanna... I noticed that I was just gonna ignore it. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, I just want to go on record as saying that I, I consume the now, entire. Why, sport. why is it there? There's not a good team in Minnesota. How strange. There's there's not. I mean, really, there isn't in Minnesota. There's not one in Wisconsin. I mean, it feels like it's just a dead zone for for good markets, you know, right. but, yeah. but I was going to redirect you to the good times of the Oakland A's, which would have included the Giambi brothers, rest in oh, peace yeah, for yeah. me, you know, uh, Oh, the big three, like, you know, Tim yeah, Hudson, yeah. 
Mark Mulder and Barry Zito. Like I remember yeah. those days because that's when I did like peak baseball consumption was like during the early two thousands. And yeah. so I, and I that used was a to great respect. time. That was the streak. That was the the twenty games. The twenty yeah. game streak. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, which is good. They made a movie about that, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we actually uh, we went to the game. Um, geez, it was probably like. 17 maybe it was like 15 or something but it was the game where um huddy pitched against zito uh and it yeah, was just, yeah, yeah this is garbage they were both so old and terrible but it was fun um, yeah because we you know we like the giants i got nothing against the giants but, I, I, yeah, I remember that game because like mark Mulder just happened to show up that day and yeah, yeah. You know, he was just in the in the stands and they did the photo ops and i'm like man i can't be this old already but it's like that was the twilight of their careers you know so it's like oh yeah for sure it's like holy crap that went fast like that that whole like 14 years just blew past us and i couldn't believe yeah. it you know but but either way the, the folks that don't listen to sports are probably going like what are they reminiscing about and what we're reminiscing about is some of the best goddamn baseball you will have seen in your <laughs> it life was good. yeah team was good it was uh it was a fun time to be to be any sort of a fan in uh and yeah i mean they were they would sell the place out you know the coliseum they could fit i mean they really can fit like 57 60 000 people in there it's huge yeah, um yeah. you know it's not one of these new baseball parks that hold 40 or something yeah, uh, yeah well, and that well, place was used to be crazy jumping so yeah well hey i like i said we I, I consume a lot of it I'm not one of those Yankees guys that just kind of knows two people on my own team. Like I, I really, <laughs> I really do love the sport, but, um, but I tell you what, moving away from that for a second. Now sure. we've actually I had chance to the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can talk shit on the Yankees all day. Let's just, I like Aaron judge though. He's our, he's our guy. Yeah. How can you not love that guy? I, he's, yeah, he's like, he's a bit, he's not really Bay area, but he's Bay area adjacent out from Lincoln. Yeah. Not too far from us. Stockton yeah. area. There's a local boy, right? I mean, That's it's right. localish. So, <laughs> well, hey, speaking of local, okay, here's something I wanted to ask you about because we've talked to a couple of actors who have either been within the San Francisco area or maybe like, you know, Northern LA. Mm -hmm. And a lot of early education, we're not just talking college here. Uh, some of like the high school programs seem to be catered like really heavily towards the arts. So, whether it's, you know, acting or, um, or just, you know, some of the, the art endeavors. And mm. what I was curious about, because we've asked about high schools before and with, you were a Mustang at Monte Vista, correct? I'm wow. trying to remember if I knew that. Look at you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I am a Monte Vista Mustang. Yeah. There you go. Boom. We're, we're technically a classic Chevy family here, but we'll go with the Mustangs. That's fine for now. <laughs> but I didn't know if Monte Vista had any specific program or anything that maybe catered to you know, your interest for performing arts. And I didn't really quite know if that was part of the curriculum there. Sure. I, um, I took a lot of drama classes. Um, I was in and was for a year or two, the director of the, the improv group. We had an improv comedy troupe that we, it was just student run and student, you know, managed until we left. And then I think <laughs> I, one of the drama teachers took it over, which is kind of sad because oh, no. we were, you know, we were so, we were just such little, you know, anarchists in our in our improv group um we had a great choir we had a like a competition winning um you know fantastic choir so i did a lot of singing which is you know was a lot of my vocal training was from that and from taking voice lessons so yeah and i mean I, we had a tv productions class that was um i didn't take it but it was uh 
pretty groundbreaking for high school, especially in the 80s and 90s when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and actually the guy, Chester Farrow, who taught there was really heavily involved with the A's broadcast team too. So he would work at the Coliseum quite a bit um, and helped uh, set up their system and run the PA and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think so. And I mean, I can't speak to any other schools in other other areas or anything like that. But um, I mean, I'm a product of, you know, California public school system. Uh, and then I went to, you know, all the way through college, I went to Cal um, to UC Berkeley. So yeah, public school too. But um, yeah, I, I feel like it was a pretty good education. And we had a lot of a lot more opportunities than my kids do these days. Um, they don't have a choir. Um, there's a drama group, but I'm not sure if it's a class. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's uh, how it compares to today, but I feel like it was pretty arts. You know, at least you could get involved in it pretty easily mm-hmm. through school. Sure, and I've always wondered that because you know, since since some of the folks that listen to this program know that we're from Wisconsin, and really, if you want to get into something, it's probably related to cheese and or uh, <laughs> recovering from alcoholism. So yeah, that's or the Packers, yes. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> Packers, dairy, or yeast. It's one of the three things. There's no, yeah, yeah. no other thing to do here. <laughs> That's well, I mean, no... you know, you, you got those three things. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> it could, it could be worse, you know. But I, I, I've always been curious about that because of just the fact there's so many iconic, you know, theater houses in the area, and mm. you, you kind of wonder is there is there a system of you know in a, in a sense whether it's spoken or or not, right? Like how does it how does the talent kind of work its way through i don't know um there, there are definitely theaters in san francisco probably way more so in los angeles or new york and i think it's just probably the urban you know proximity as much mm-hmm. as anything else i think in urban centers like that um you know we're pretty close to berkeley as well um and oakland you know so we've got three pretty decent sized you know, metropolitan cities. I mean, Berkeley's not really that metropolitan, but tons mm-hmm. of theater. And um, I think it's just a, a product of wherever wherever you're at. And if you're closer to a metropolitan area, it seems like there's more of that opportunity and focus just because it's closer to you, you know, mm-hmm. rather than like in a place where there is no theater scene or there is no, you know, music scene, it's harder to get, you know, wrapped up in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's super easy because it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, for us in the Midwest, it's you basically go to Chicago yep. and you hit up Second yeah. City, yep. and and then you try to work your way to the east or the west, and yep. you know a- have a chance at it there. But you know, going back to what you mentioned about choir for a second, uh, I was interested in in how choir kind of led to you know working with the dance hall crashers because I've I've I actually remember seeing artwork for your band in like the mid nineties when I was there in California and it just stuck with me because of like red on yellow and it just like popped (laughs) at me, you know, when I saw it. And uh, so I was curious. Rip off of Charlie Brown, that Charlie Brown. (laughs) uh, Brown Hey, Um, rip off or not. Yeah. I mean, it's just had nothing to do with uh, really anything aside from who my brother is. Um, So my brother, Jason Hammond, uh, was in uh, Rabid Lassie and Breakaway, these kind of really early Bay Area, straight edge punk rock bands. Um, 
he was in downfall which was a post operation ivy um band with uh tim armstrong and um matt freeman and um dave um their drummer dave Mello, um and him and it was basically um just op ivy without jesse and they played a lot of songs and um at the same time um tim and matt started this like a real more ska band with horns and whatnot and mm -hmm. my brother was guitar player and wrote a lot of the songs um especially once i joined the band you know he became kind of one of the principal songwriters um and their drummer quit and i had been taking drum lessons from a guy named jeff campatelli who lives like two blocks away from me now in this lovely town that we both live in, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool. But uh, he was like the drummer for uh, Joe Satriani on most of his records early on and a fantastic human being. But he was my drum teacher. I took lessons. So when their drummer quit, my brother was like, hey, my brother plays drums. Um, that's what he sounds like. Okay. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I just came and I think my audition for them was to play Spaghetti Western uh by primus which is this big <laughs> doo -ga -doo -ga -doo -ga -da, this big double bassy kind of ridiculous tom thing um and i played that for them and they're like yeah okay sure so that was it i just sort of and i was in high school so i was like 17 or something at the time and um yeah we just started touring and playing and so i was in high school playing shows you know in some neighboring states and in southern california you know on the weekends um and then I went, we went, I went to college and then about midway or so into college, 95 is when we signed with um, a subsidiary of a major label and then eventually um, went to, uh, to, to tour. So I dropped out, you know, went back to school and finished in like 2000 or something. So, yeah, so it was just, it was just my brother. That was all. <laughs> On that no note, that actually kind of brings us to our first fan question here. And what was it actually like having this experience with your brother being in a band? Uh, um, <laughs> and uh, do you have any any memories or, or big takeaways being involved with the band that you'd like to share? Oh, man. Um, so being in a band with, uh, with your brother, um, I look back on it more fondly now than I probably did then. Um, <laughs> we got along pretty well. But it was, uh, you know, we were pretty much together constantly because it was like I was always rooming with him. Mm -hmm. um, so he was always driving or I would drive sometimes, but he would do most of it, you know, when we didn't have a bus or something like that. So it was just spending a lot of time with, you know, it's like a family. And so when it is your family and uh it's you know it can be it can be really trying because you know when you're touring and when you're in a band it's like you know you have really high highs and really low lows just depending on where you are what you're doing how many times you've been stuck in wisconsin that year um, <laughs> it just really does depend on you know on the circumstances mm -hmm. um but yeah we we get along well now we're still you know friends we it never really came to blows uh that i recall but um yeah um and oh geez just in terms of like band stories uh okay so probably one of the better ones that i have is uh we played in japan with um 
it was this big festival that like went on all night. It was like eight bands and then eight more bands. And it went like all night long. Wow. We played our set. The headliner was MC Hammer. So we were, um, and it's Japan. So it's kind of like you have a, an, a laminate that says all access and you can go and do anything you want. And they just sort of trust you. Um, so we have a bunch of pictures where he's playing. And it was what was funny is it's like 30 people on stage and it's like a DJ and hammer and like 28 dancers, um, which was wild. But um, so I, we have these photos where we're like crouching down in front of him in front of the stage, you know, and there's, you know, thousands of people there, but we can just walk up in front of the stage and be laced basically like, you know, inches away from him. Um, so we have a bunch of silly pictures like that. And of course we took a bunch of <laughs> pictures with hammer and funny story um, full circle. Uh, it was the opening night. This is going to be a little bit of a long one, but it should be fun. Opening night of the uh, Oakland Athletics, maybe 2014, maybe 2015. And um, my wife and I are there. We have seats, uh, our season ticket seats, which are basically center behind home plate um, up above the diamond level. Good seats. So the whole time we're there, we see these two, um, these two people that are sort of like arguing with each other, these couples. And all of a sudden, the two female members of these couples just start fighting, just like hair pulling, punching, kicking, dragging. It just goes on and on. Finally, like security gets in there, cops get in there, break it up, pull them apart. And they're taking one of them, like this one couple away. And then like the one girl, like just who is not being arrested, reaches back over the seat, grabs the woman by her hair, pulls her back over. And it's just like, just they're going at it. Then one of the guys looks at the other projectile vomits all over the other guy. It's just like, it just, you can just hear everybody. Oh, <laughs> all falls apart. And then like crazy. My wife was like in the bathroom at the time she comes back. And she's like, what the hell happened? And I'm like, you are not going to believe it. So we're sitting there, maybe like, you know, a couple more, couple of bats later, MC Hammer just comes out of nowhere. I heard there was fighting. I came to break it up because it's Hammer. He used to, you know, he's there all the time. He was a bat boy there. Um, and so I said like, hey, I took a picture with you in Japan like 20 years ago. And I show it to him and he's like, turn it around. We take another one. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, the, um, the, the pressing question I think we all have is when he is going through the seats, does he do the, the shimmy move to get past side where he has nope. to go at the side uh. strut? Yeah. No, nope, he does not. He does mm. not. He's very low key and he's just like no fan gear at all. He's just wearing like a leather jacket, you know, and he's just like, yep, everything's yep. cool. <laughs> and, a, and a t-shirt that says, I am not MC Hammer. <laughs> we'll tell you what, what we as we kind of continue the the gavin story like the the made for tv a and e type of story we're going to tell here <laughs> okay. uh what, what what i wanted to understand was a little bit about this voice acting journey or i just like to call it acting because i don't i honestly i know there, there's we appreciate that yeah, there's I know there's nuances between it, but God damn it. Some of the voice actors I've seen are some of the just the best physical actors I see in studios. And so based off of some of the interviews I've seen with you in the past, I, I've heard that the story that kind of started things off was actually a suggestion to try to become, you know, a, a voiceover actor. Right. 
and it was uh you're doing like manual labor one day yeah. and and your dad calls you and yeah. it kind of snowballs from there right so clearly yeah, that so, wasn't the plan from the beginning right like we we kind of had no. to go through those those motions i um i really thought that i was gonna be a musician or be a drummer and that that's what i was gonna do i didn't love touring and traveling it was not my jam um but i like playing a lot um and uh, eventually once we stopped touring we kind of like we were playing the same places over and over and over again the same tours it's like it's really hard to make any money <clears throat> so once we were kind of you know taking a break on hiatus my dad was an industrial contractor so i would work for him um and i had always just done voices growing up you know in the 70s it's like i had access to things that were you know for like the last four decades and so it's kind of like i would always just mimic things mimic movies mimic cartoon characters anything like that and so eventually i um was digging a ditch we were doing an electrical installation at uh, uc berkeley we were installing i don't know what we were doing but probably some machine and running power to it and my dad called me and he's like hey there's some woman on the radio that has a voiceover school and you should listen to it and i was like yeah okay sure because i mean i had always i just spoke in dialects which was incredibly douchey but you know it's like i would just do that i would just be doing my my weird bad accents you know kind of all the time it was just uh you know and um i listened to it it was um it was a woman with a school in sausalito and i just took classes and um after about five years or so i signed with an agent and um you know and now i have people that want to talk to me about it for some reason <laughs> <laughs> i feel it's very meta right now as we kind of stare intently <laughs> you know but mm -hmm. but hey that's that's actually part of the journey we're interested in though is is a little bit about that five years is what kind of building blocks did you get from that that um, you maybe help you the most you know in in entering the industry frustration mostly um just because i felt like okay i can i totally get it I, I feel like i can do this i feel like you know i'm 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 comfortable doing characters and stuff like that i'm not super comfortable being myself for commercial stuff but it was like there's just like especially in classes at the time there just weren't any opportunities so it's like i'm taking these classes i'm getting you know great come on out feedback you know from from the teachers and whatnot and i'm just kind of like okay so i need real feedback and i need like opportunities in order to do this and so that was the probably the hardest thing and for anybody that's you know on this sort of journey that's the the real trick is sticking that out and making sure that you know you're <clears throat> getting in front of people that can hire you and you know help make that happen um so yeah that was probably the biggest thing for me was just making it through that without you know quitting and uh moving on to something else mm -hmm. yeah did, did you did like representation have anything to do with that too because we've we've talked to folks that have had to i wouldn't say like uh merry go around this but you have to probably change it just because of the you know the trajectory of your career and what direction you want to go like was that part of your journey too like changing representation not really so i did get signed through um through that school i got signed with my my sf agent stars and um i signed with a an la agent um 
at the time also through another class, like the class, the one person would win the class and what you would win is an opportunity to go and like read at that agency, um, which was really, really cool. I did eventually um, leave that agency, not because of career trajectory or anything like that, but just because the, the, my agent that I knew the best there, she had come up as a booth director, um, my friend Becky Dodd, and eventually became went into casting. She left this agency. She quit to go and be a casting director. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, I don't know that anybody really gives a crap about me there anymore. So I actually went to um, a different agency, uh, which is Atlas in um, New York and Los Angeles, which I absolutely adore. But I don't do a lot of like, oh, I need to shake things up and I need to move to a different agency because this one isn't, you know, promoting me as much because I, I mm -hmm. still feel like most of the onus of that stuff is on me. And it's like if I'm not booking and I'm not getting, you know, if I'm not getting opportunities from them, it's probably not them not working. It could be. But, you know, I usually try to internalize all that stuff and, you know, try to resolve what I'm doing potentially wrong yeah i mean it's a it's a good character trait i mean i've i've read a lot of leadership books being in you know sales and sales management and honestly looking inward is usually the first suggestion that comes up in those scenarios like sure. look, look at yourself before starting to look outward and what can you impact versus what other people can impact right so i think that's just a really admirable trait to have and a good way to kind of go about life just in general so yeah, I, I mean, I know if you're based in LA, it's different. Um, if you live in LA and you're based there, a, a lot of times it does. People do leave and they go to other agencies to shake things up or to get a better deal, to get a different, you know, sort of probably a different commission percentage or something like that. I don't know. Depends on who they are and mm -hmm. how important they are and what they've done. You know, I've always been pretty small C celebrity in terms of my BO stuff, and I try to do everything that you know everything that I that gets presented to me. So it's like I do a lot of weird stuff that in LA, I probably wouldn't necessarily have to or, you know, be focused on. But you know, in the Bay Area, you kind of have to be able to do everything in order to have a career and work, you know, it's in LA, you can just do games, you can just do animation, you can just do promos and stuff like that. But here, it's not quite as open. Um, so I do a lot of different kinds of stuff that's, you know, not sexy and super boring, but it's fine. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. You bring up some weird things you've done. Uh, and your website actually says you've had so many, you've had a lot of projects that are too weird for classification. Mm -hmm. How weird are we talking here? I've done a lot of stuff that's like non-speech, um, things that are just emotes, non-verbal emotes. Um, there have been a bunch of those that tech companies have sort of built is kind of like a, to counter the Sims. i done mm. the sims too which is another like non-language thing um yeah lots of weird stuff you know where it's just like you never really know what it's for or what the circumstances are but yeah i mean i've probably forgotten most probably forgotten way more jobs than you know than i remember <laughs> but um yeah some strange things that you're never quite sure what anybody's going to do with it or why they want it but All they're right. paying you to be there and say it so sure why not? <laughs> good luck with it I was actually blown away by you and Dave Fenoy doing an, like a, a like a just a you guys a little clinic a mini clinic on just the art of this made up speech and oh. it, 
yeah, it was on his podcast. It felt like you were having a real conversation, but in a language that no one could understand. And yeah, that was that was incredible. I love Dave. Um, and that was just imp improv sort of like literally made up because I think he was asking me about maybe teaching. And I think at the time I was teaching a class that was like a gibberish class because um, I've done a lot of it and I've worked in a lot of like um, both foreign language that I don't speak and made up languages that I don't speak. Um, so I can get I can get through the emoting part of it without necessarily needing to know what the words are. Yeah, which is, I, you know, it's just part of communication. I feel like anybody with kids in the room would probably <laughs> understand that, right? Because like, I hope so. Yeah, because I mean, you you eventually got to communicate with them and they're not very clear <laughs> about anything. Although my kids always were. I was a stay at home dad for for both my kids when they were really little. And I never, I, I never did baby talk or anything like that to them. We would go to Target looking for toys. And, um, and I would just be having a conversation. We would just be talking and chit chatting and they'd just be like, you know, whatever. I was, I was never one to, I was very communicative. I knew what obnoxious meant when I was like four. <laughs> so I, I would always, and I was cursed by um, one of the, one of the moms in the co-op way back when cursed me and said, I hope someday you have a child exactly like you. Um, and now I have two. So oh. <laughs> yeah. she didn't mean it in like a good way. So. I, I know, I know. It's always meant to be ironic or or just yeah. on the cusp of insulting. But really, who doesn't look at their kid behaving like them and go, "I am proud of that that child"? Because depends I on mean, the behavior. There's certain well, behaviors oh, yeah. that I do that I that I do not want to see repeated. <laughs> well, I I do a lot of this like I call it kitchen interpretive dance. It only happens in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But then I I I just kind of do this like little climbing motion with my hands and stuff. And then I look back at my four-year-old one day and he's eating his food and he's just sitting there, you know, like yeah. waving his hands like Napoleon Dynamite style. And I'm like, you clearly didn't learn that from daycare. And no. I feel like I can own that, right? You learned it from watching you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I look at him and I go, you're goddamn right you did. Yeah, so. you did, it's a good <laughs> well i tell you what for the folks that have been listening at home they're probably wondering you know you guys are talking a lot about like the early and the prep going into the career which we honestly love we love hearing about that stuff but there's no way that we would avoid telltales the walking dead because for me this was like an event when it first came out it like it just stopped me dead in my tracks and it's crazy to think we've celebrated 10 years of it already oh, i God. mean so <laughs> no i wouldn't say it's old i would say it's it's the fact it's it's been relevant for that long and that you know i every time um i have a chance to sit down i will pick a season and, and replay it you know um and you've even mentioned too that you, know, you wanted to be impactful whether it's positive or negative in the role of kenny you know sure. and and that's kind of how i see telltales the walking dead is that there are times when it may not be an entirely positive experience, no. but you're still you're still having a really fun time, you know, doing I hope that. So. Although yeah. I've gotten more people that tell me um, that it was the first video game that made them cry, um, oh. which I was like, right on, yeah. you damn right it did. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I still get people still reach out to me every day um, then say that, you know, Kenny got him through something or the game got him through something or just how much it meant to them or how they still play it or they played it again or they never sided with Kenny or they always sided with him. Um, and I mean, it was just a job. So it's yeah. kind of like to do a job and like it was really rad to book for them because, you know, they were doing Sam and Max. They did all kinds of other stuff that was like and they were like one of the bigger deal at the time, you know, um, Bay Area based publishers. We also had, you know, we had EA, which was a pretty big deal and 2K was there. But so this yeah. was like narrative stuff that was different and cool. And I mean, I was thrilled to just get the job. I mean, the fact that. 10 years later you know that it's like it impacts people it like touches people in their daily lives i mean that's just it's so far beyond like what we could ever have hoped for you know from just like being in a game you know what i mean it's it is absolutely mind-boggling to me that you know that something that i played some tiny little part in you know has meant something to people that they want to reach out to me and you know tell me something nice um <laughs> And it's like 99.9% .9 it's positive. You know, it's very rare that anyone says, you know, anything negative to me about it. Um, and that's yeah. fine. I mean, I don't mind the negativity either. It's just, uh, I always wonder what the motivation is. But, um, you know, I would never tell somebody I didn't like something they did, you know, unless they were a politician. But aside from that, and that's too many beers on Twitter anyway. You know what I mean? So, but see, see, that was something too that I, I, I've always wanted to ask you about, and once again, if I ever had the opportunity to buy you a beer, we'd probably talk quite a bit about this. I but like beer. See, in Wisconsin, I, what you can't see is beer. So just just so you know, on the on the <laughs> webcam here. It's but so like, beer. oh, it's just everywhere. Yeah, it's like sand. You get it in your house, you can't get it but out. What's the, what's the craft scene like out there, though? Because I don't oh. know anything about craft beer out there, but I would assume it's good. It, I mean, it, it's yeah. phenomenal in California. So I would assume that in a place like Wisconsin, where it's really beer you know i imagine it would probably be pretty pretty good mm -hmm. yeah we we have a lot of these these smaller towns that became like branches off of the bigger cities hmm. so like old school madison used to be like this big sprawling downtown and then we kind of built like concentric rings around it and now we've got these cities that are kind of on the offshoots it's just like the chicago hinterland right like they built mm -hmm. all these suburbs outside of it so it's the same idea but smaller yeah and and the thing is like in all of these small towns you have these specialized breweries yeah. that are mm -hmm. experimenting with you know fruits and like just mm -hmm. it's like hey something fell in the vat the other day do you care if i pull that out like, no 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 yeah it's called seasonal that's yes. called seasonal yeah, field exactly. mouse we're gonna go with that um so it's it's yeah really solid there's a lot of good stuff you can try here and if you don't like it most likely you'll have something brand new next season so sure. it's really solid stuff but as an acquired taste though point and click games were something i wanted to ask you about because you mm -hmm. mentioned sam and max before and i grew up with LucasArts, you know sierra online and a mm -hmm. lot of these point and click masters of the trade right um we actually even talked to uh al Lowe, who created you know leisure suit larry and oh, wow. these these series they I remember that game. wow yeah yeah you, you spend time like problem solving with these characters and you know, like you, you have to discover narratives and stories, right? You don't just shoot things from A to B and then 
a cutscene, you know? Yeah. So I, I always wanted to ask you about that. Like were point and click games, like a big foundation of, you know, like gaming experiences for you? Like what, what was that foundation like? So I consider myself to be like a first generation gamer. Um, we got Pong in 1977. Uh, we got a 2600. My dad was really into games. Um, so we got a 2600 right when they came out. And we had a ColecoVision, Intellivision, Vectrex, uh, 5200, um, Genesis, pretty much all of the, with only a few exceptions. We didn't have like a Neo Geo or anything like that. But yeah. We had pretty much every system, you know, all of the Nintendos from when they came out. So I was always very much, um, games were always a part of my life. I didn't love the point and click games because I liked the action of, of things. Sure. Um, for me, like adventure, you know, was one of my, you know, very favorite games. Um, any, anytime first person stuff too, any like first person fantasy or sci-fi first person is still like my absolute sweet spot i play destiny um destiny 2 uh pretty much every day these days uh, i absolutely adore it i know a lot of people don't but so i, I i've never been a big narrative guy sure. i grew up where video games didn't talk so when they started to talk to me it was kind of a waste of time it was like oh <laughs> which is ironic because i do make a pretty good living you know in games you know, talking, you know. yeah. um but yeah no i i've never really been a big fan of point and click or you know like the quick time event games or some stuff like that it's like sure. i've played a little telltale um i played uh the first episode of a wolf among us which i really enjoyed i never really played any of the subsequent episodes and the only other times i've ever really played their games have been like under duress you know when yeah. i've been like in studio for them or i'm having to watch someone play it or something like that because i just you know they're not my jam plus i worked on them i don't like playing games where i hear myself because it just takes me right out of the the whole experience yeah i imagine that's got to be kind of a weird thing it, it's kind of like listening to your own podcast for those of you that have podcasts well it's, i think it's... i'm the weirdo because i think most people actually really dig it most people think it's pretty cool and like like to hear themselves in things i just you know i'm uh, not a fan <laughs> well, I, I have to say this in the spirit of kenny i feel like kenny would have a coleco vision and yeah he, probably you know like, like that would be him. Like he'd, he'd get back off of the fishing boat and come back to duck and be like, no duck, you're just getting the Coleco vision. I'm not buying anything else. And, yeah. and, and, th and that's, that's what you got to live with. <laughs> I think he'd probably just buy a Nintendo. Cause I think Coleco vision was probably a little bit off the, I mean, unless he was a huge Donkey Kong fan. Cause that was the big selling point of the Coleco vision was it was like almost a direct port of Donkey Kong. Um, yeah. I think that, that was the big deal, but um, yeah, he'd probably just have a Nintendo. And that'd be you play Smash Brothers. It's good enough for you. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta say, I know that you mentioned I I appreciate you. I wouldn't say downplaying it, but like oh, it's, it's probably it hard to it. well, I was gonna say it's probably hard to like think what's the impact of this game gonna be. Like, is it gonna be a game of the year, you know, winner? Like, there's probably some of the nuts and bolts that you can appreciate going into it, but from the earliest days of like the Telltale games experience, like past uh like the csi days and like the jurassic park and all that stuff yeah. that they made adaptations for this new age of this coming through with the walking dead and then like you mentioned the wolf among us 
those those were transformative you know so as you were working on this you know and the team like all the other talent involved i mean what was that environment like i mean did you did you kind of feel that air about these titles or i mean what was that like certainly not at first um we didn't really know what to expect from the walking dead until after the first episode shipped and it was like this huge success and then i think everybody there probably maybe not vanaman and you know and jake rodkin maybe maybe they didn't you know maybe they knew what they had you know because those guys were really really savvy but um everybody else i think was just like oh god what do we do um because we were working on wolf at the time but that all just came to a screeching halt they're like oh yeah. god everybody's like looking at what we're doing now and so wolf totally changed they recast a bunch of people um they recast bigby um from where we were before and then um a lot of it was rewritten and just changed and i still got to play d and dumb who i was cast to be originally and then they they gave me mirror and then they gave me beast too neither of which i don't think i read i think because there was some other sort of behind the scenes drama and mm. i think that um the guys that were working on it were pissed at how it played out so they gave me other parts but um yeah it i don't think anybody really knew what to expect and so it was a big surprise um because it was really different dave talks a lot about how different you know the audition was because it really was just like a narrative it was like a an animated thing you know it, it didn't feel like a video game the way that they all kind of feel um so yeah it was it was pretty wild to be in that environment and i mean working for them was always chaos because it was like they never wrote the whole thing and then recorded the whole thing it was always like they did that one episode and maybe you would have like four or five sessions on it or maybe it would get rewritten a bunch of times and you'd have eight sessions on it um and then they would start working on the next one and so it was like there might have been an outline but it's like they were working if it took so long to come out because it was like we were working episode by episode by episode which is a mind-boggling way to ship a you know an episodic game mm -hmm. um yeah. but you know i mean you could probably put two and two together and see sort of where it all kind of fell apart for them in terms of how and when the doors closed melissa was literally in a session recording when they called and said money's gone everybody doors are closed we're out um yeah and then god bless wow. for coming back and you know finishing it off but um yeah yeah it was it was madness and there was a lot of there were a lot of weird um you know there were some of the really most excellent people i've ever worked with and ever met who worked there and there were some some really awful unpleasant people that um i would be cool with not seeing again but yeah it just uh it was such a weird mixed bag especially especially for me there were a lot of like you know behind the scenes things that happened in other projects that you know i'm still pissed about but you know i can't be pissed about any of that stuff so <laughs> it's okay we won't we won't make you go on record for any of that stuff well i couldn't anyway so <laughs> that's one of those things where it's like it wouldn't be something i could talk about um yeah so maybe yeah. you could talk about that in a sense things seem to have came to a rather rather abrupt and kind of quickly finished ending um is yeah. it, do you think kenny could actually have any more of a story to tell um after this whole thing was done 
uh, or is so, he going to hang out playing Nintendo for the rest of his time? <laughs> I hope so, because I'd play that. No, no one would. <laughs> there was a lot of talk after the first season, um, and then when the second season started, there was a lot of talk from some specific people there who really wanted to explore that. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that they had a couple of writers that, you know, kind of came in to sort of write up some treatments or something like that. But I just, I don't think any of it ever happened or was ever executed on. No one told me anything. I just remember meeting one of those writers at uh, Walker Stalker, which was the big Walking Dead convention yeah. Yeah. that we yeah. used to do from time to time. And I remember him like picking my brain about, you know, well, how do you think he got out of that alley? Um, that sort of thing. <laughs> But uh, I didn't really know what to make of any of that. Nobody told me anything because they wouldn't. And I wouldn't ask because mm -hmm. I don't. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, there was talk about it. But I doubt it would ever come to fruition. I didn't think it would come to fruition then. I certainly don't now. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean you can always use uh, that opportunity to just make up anything you want for how you got out of the alley. I used to work at a restaurant sure. that used to be like an older building before it was a restaurant. And people yeah. always ask me what it was before there. And I would just start lying to people and just make up anything. Sure. Like, oh, it was a mortuary. It was the craziest yeah. thing. You have no idea. <laughs> Where they killed all those kids back in 68. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, my, my favorite Kenny moment, Gavin, is fairly early on when you're getting to Macon. And he's he's seeing clearly the walkers are eating something yeah and he's like hey it's like hey can you guys help us or something like hey what's going on and then then they all look up at him as they're eating and there's blood all over him and then kenny's face is all shock it's like kenny did you actually look at what was happening because it reminded me of like Shaun of the dead where it's like you know they're, they're talking to the zombies as if they're people yet <laughs> Sure. And and I, I always laugh at that scene because it's it's just I don't know. I, it wasn't meant to be comedic. I laugh at it every time because <laughs> it's it's just great and I love it. Um, but I feel like there's sto still a story to tell for him. And I I would easily, you know, sure. play more Kenny stories because uh, I always tried to keep him alive. I did everything I could to try and make sure that he made it through. You know, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Well, so. bless you. I think people probably, uh, I people tell me they would, whether or not that's, you know, a big enough audience or a big enough market. I don't know. I would absolutely do it. I'd love to. I think it'd be super fun. But um, I don't have any expectations or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly the the whole process. I mean, you can if you look at either social media or or just the how you interact with your your fellow you know actors on this on this project. Clearly, you guys have a really strong bond. I mean, it's it's fun as hell seeing you guys interact. Like at the uh, at San Diego Comic Con, we did your live performance of oh, yeah, you know, scenes great. from the game. I mean, what 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 did you think about that experience? I mean, compared to you know, like saying lines for cameo or you know, just being asked to do specific lines in character. Like how how different a performance was that for you? It was really really neat. Um, so that was uh, Richard Igo's big sort of his big plan. Um, so he was really excited to do that. He thought it'd be a great way to do something. We were on stage at Petco Park, which was pretty rad. So they yeah. set up a stage basically like on home plate. And yeah. then we performed it there. Um, that was really, really cool. I know that, um, so while we were there, we uh, went to like the Skybound party and like met the cast of the show, which was pretty rad. I oh, went cool. up to... Um, 
Andrew and said, I loved you and like I, I loved you in love actually. And he's like, oh chiz. But like, which is <laughs> ironic because he's such like a stalker, awful creep in that movie. Yeah. But I just thought it was pretty fun. Um so it was a little bit uh it was a definitely a surreal. We met Kumail Nanjiani there too, which was a oh, cool. Um, yeah, so it was just one of those trips where it's like you meet a bunch of people and it's crazy. And then like, you know, we do the live performance. Um, I watched that back once and it felt really fast to me the way I think we were probably all pretty nervous. And it just kind of we blew through the lines and, and did the whole thing. Yeah. But it was really cool to be there. Um, it was really cool to do it. It was a super fun trip. I remember Owen Thomas, who played Omid. He's one of my best friends, along with Sissy Jones, who's Katja and Melissa yeah, yeah. Clementine or some, you know three of my best friends and uh i remember owen drove down from because he lived in la he drove down to san diego and like crashed with me so anytime that like owen comes to like a, a convention or a show and crashes with me it's always a good time because he's just you know he and i get along really really well he's a really great dude we just sit around and watch youtube videos and drink you know mezcal uh, which is pretty fun <laughs> nice but it was cool yeah there was a lot of crazy parties because it's san diego you know it was it's wild those are always just kind of like something else it was neat yeah. it was a very very cool experience yeah that's awesome i i it had to have been fun i mean i i have a lot of respect for the whole cast of of not just the walking dead but looking at the wolf among us because i i i don't understate it at all being able to deliver performances like that it doesn't matter at what level or you know what storyline you might have in that game they they get driven home i mean I, I i i can't i can't say that for any other series i've played we get such you know really fantastic scripts to work with though that it's it's you know all we have to do is get it off the page it's like there were so many moments um especially in The Walking Dead, where it was just like scenes, I would be reading the scene for the first time in the session because, you know, they would very rarely, rarely send them to me in advance. And it's just like, yeah, this is just perfect. The way that this, like, the way this plays out, the way that it's written, all I have to do is say it. You know what I mean? So it's like um, one of my acting coaches, one of his acting coaches used to say that good acting is good writing. As long as it's written well, it's like our job is you know exponentially easier because we don't we're not turd polishing you know all we have to do is really just kind of just say it and it's just like it'll get off the page and you know it's easy peasy so that was a huge luxury pretty much in any of those telltale projects um the writing was good and it was very easy to just sort of you know play yeah uh, i mean yeah ultimately i I want to say as a response to a comment you made earlier about kind of being in that C actor area, like, or popularity wise, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't agree with it because small C celebrity, you know, you've, you've had a massive impact across pop culture, whether or not you believe it, because, you know, when I look at some of the earliest work I you did, it, but I appreciate you. Oh, <laughs> it, like the Lord of the Rings online. Okay. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I buried hundreds upon hundreds of hours into that game. And it's pretty clear because you can see how large I am and just, you know, how sedentary my <laughs> life must be. But, but I mean, that that game is so rich. There's so much that you can bury yourself in. And a lot of that is the level setting from, you know, interacting with those characters and getting yeah. to, 
you know, really live through what was actually written for Lord of the Rings, but put into a game form. Yeah, no, Standing Stone is awesome. And it's like those sessions are so much fun because there are so many words, you know, and weird dwarven words and, you know, Mordor words. I don't know what the language they speak in Mordor. but The the dark language of Mordor. Yeah, all that good stuff. It's pretty fun. Those sessions are cool. And those were, that was a weird thing too, where it was just like, I just met the guy that um, voice directs all those is a dude named Randall Ryan, who, um, you know, we just sort of met or became friends. And then like, he threw me some roles and then, you know, every, you know, few months, six months when they do a new expansion, you know, we have a session for a little while. They're, they're super fun. And I mean, that's another one that just something I could do from home, you know, that was super cool. Not having to go into a studio, you know, back when we used to have to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, those are really fun. Yeah. 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 yeah I, you yeah, like your expanse on, on on pop culture has just been massive. Like um, I honestly really loved TMNT Mutants in Manhattan. Uh, oh, I played, me too. I played that I'm with my buddy Matt quite a bit. I'm a huge. Uh, I didn't play the game, but I'm a mm-hmm. huge like Turtles fan. Like I grew up reading uh, the Eastman and Laird comic. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. One of my all time favorite issues is the Donatello like one shot that they did where he like shrinks mm-hmm. himself really small. Um, love that. And um, yeah, Don Don was always my favorite turtle. I'm a huge Rob Paulson fan. So I was like incredibly honored to be cast, you know, to like reprise that role. Um, Nolan North worked on that game too, which was a trip to me. I didn't know that. I had to, I got to do a pretty rad dance sequence where I did a, a bunch of ADR to like turtle break dancing or something. And I had <laughs> nice. to like dance like one of my first my first experience with dance dance grunts i've since had really extensive <laughs> dance grunt experience um that was one of the first ones so mm-hmm. that was a that was a fun project too that was um down in santa monica i remember um i really liked the engineer and the guy that does the casting and direction there and mm-hmm. you know you're in santa monica it's like the studio was like half a block from the beach you know so it's just like you can walk up and down the promenade you know in, you know after the session super fun nice yeah there's actually uh you i don't know if you you kind of answered my next question on that which was completely more of a nerdy basis it was that you got to voice donatello but would you consider yeah. yourself a donatello or do you lean more towards one of the other turtles no i i don't can well i mean if in terms of who i identify with personally mm-hmm. i'm probably more michelangelo because i'm pretty you know i'm pretty out there and i'm not super i need my wife to you know to help me be responsible (laughs) certainly not leo um yeah just in terms of how i would relate to them i would probably i mean i love you know donatello but i don't think i have like the i don't think i have the the discipline that he does (laughs) maybe i do i don't know i don't you, you seem like a party dude so that totally makes <laughs> yeah. sense to me. I, yeah. I love a good flow chart, so I'm a Donnie myself, but <laughs> yeah. be a team forever. We need to take a quiz. I'm sure there's a Facebook <laughs> quiz that yeah. probably come up as Mike. I don't know. <laughs> well, in a in a career that's full of iconic properties, because we talked about you know, obviously Team and T, you've got G.I. Joe in there too. Oh, Tomb yeah. Raider. Yeah, Tomb Raider. Very I mean, close to my heart. Yeah, you've got. I love GI Joe. Um, I grew up watching the cartoon, um, so getting to be Destro was weird to me because you know he was played by an African American actor, I think, in the cartoon. So that was strange that I was cast to do that. But I mean, I have probably 
a thousand GI Joes. So I've, I've been collecting Joes since, you know, they came out 1981 or two or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still coming out. They have the six inch line now and I like those too much. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, that was pretty, it's always fun to me to like get to do work on something that I love. Yeah. You know, I've gotten to work on a couple of different, you know, Star Wars projects. Um, probably none of which I can mention, you know, but like I, uh, I did a little bit of like attraction work when they were like developing Star Tours, the revamp of Star Tours. I got to do a little bit of like scratch, you know, for that. And then they invited me to the premiere when they actually launched the ride, which was incredibly rad. Um, yeah, it's fun to get to work on things that, you know, are important to me because I really am, a, you know, a pretty big geek so and i love games you know i've been i play games all the time and so getting to work in games is pretty fun too i get to go and see things that i like because of what my job is which is pretty cool nice yeah mm -hmm. and, and that kind of leads us into actually one of the last questions we have for you before we give you the floor because <laughs> we we wanted to know and some of the fans wanted to know you know are there any properties that you've wanted to work within or be involved with that you haven't yet and that you have your sights set on like what what's what's in your crosshairs for that um i really always wanted to work for um uh one of the one of which actually came to pass i can't say what it is but another one i i played a ton of world of warcraft and so i i always wanted to work on that and i did i think i'm some NPC someplace or something like that, which was pretty rad. Um, yeah, so no, it's more just like like publishers that I would really like to work for. Um, a lot of them I've gotten to do, which is pretty cool. Um, there aren't a whole lot left. Um, I've always wanted to do animation and I've gotten to do a fair amount, you know, over the last few years. Um, yeah, at this point, I, I kind of feel like I've gotten to do most of the things that I want to do, I, I don't get too worked up about, you know, you know, what I want to do and what I get to do. I'm just happy to be doing any of it, to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to get up and be, you know, working, you know, this week and be able to, you know, put food on the table, doing something that I really enjoy and that I, I think I'm pretty good at. So it, it feels good. Yeah, I would say that's, that's gotta be just a huge, huge bonus in itself. Again, like not, not just having to work in nine to five to get the get the bills paid, but actually doing something that you love doing and getting the bills paid. Yeah, I mean, it some days definitely feel like work, you know. But even like work days don't feel, you know, especially being able to do it from home. It yeah. really is so much better. I mean, I used to have I was working on a toy um, where it was like we were working like twenty or so hours a week, and it was like and it was you know about seventy five miles away. So through the Bay Area, for me, it could take anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours to get there. And so yeah. I would be commuting, you know, to do sessions like nine to noon or nine to one. Um, and there were some of those weeks, too, where it's like if I had anything else, any other bookings, I would have days where it's like I'm, I'm leaving the house at six for this session at nine. And then after that, I drive through San Francisco and have maybe one or two other jobs. And then maybe I even have to go to Emeryville to do something for Leapfrog or Somatone or something like that. So there would be these weeks where I would have like 15 or 16 jobs and I would get home at like 
eight o'clock at night and then I got to read all the things that are due the next day. It's kind of like, sure, you're making money and you're working, but it's just like it starts to really just uh, it becomes quite a slog. So I don't oh, yeah. miss days. And I have to imagine also like just the physical strain on something like that on your voice as it's you do that. Bad. I mean, as long as the as long as it's not too vocally stressful, yeah, it's just mm -hmm. the it's just the sitting in the car and the you know not being able to eat as well as I'd like or exercise as much as I'd like. So mm -hmm. that makes it hard. Yeah, and, and we've heard that too. That sometimes it's not even so much about the actual voice acting itself; it's more about taking care of your body, and that yeah. you know it'll kind of take care of itself in that way. Um, so. I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've always been pretty resilient. So I used to like, as a kid, I would lose my voice a um, few times, you know, a few times a month just from screaming and hooting and hollering and stuff like that. So these days I'm pretty resilient when things come up. I, it doesn't really, it doesn't knock me, knock me down too much. Cool. Not well, nothing. yeah, I was going to say, I was going to knock on wood, but I'm pretty sure this is a laminate over here. Uh, but <laughs> I've got wood all around me. I'm, I'm knocking on this fancy stairwell. Well, hey, tell you what, Gavin, dude, this has been great to kind of kind of kind of peel things back a little bit and obviously get to see the nerdery behind you, but just <laughs> just I try to, to get keep this yeah. secret. So <laughs> well, hey, you've survived a digital dissection. We appreciate it. And we would love to kind of hear about what you've got going on and and what you want to share with with the folks listening. Cool. Uh, there's a lot of stuff coming. Um, there always, you know, for voice actors, there always, there always is. Um, there's some pretty cool animation coming. There's some pretty cool games coming. I can never say what they are. Um, if anybody wants to follow me or hear more of my ramblings, I'm um, Gavin Hammond in most things. Um, Instagram is probably the best way. If you wanted to like get in contact with me, you can always DM me. They're always open and I usually respond. Um, I'm on Streamily. There's a bunch of prints. If you want a, a signed print, we do video broadcasts for that sort of thing. Um, that would just be streamily.com slash Gavin Hammond, my name. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I don't say anything productive or important. Um, yeah, I'm just really, I'm, I'm honored that people want, you know, to talk to me about stuff that I get to do. I feel incredibly fortunate to sort of be, you know, where I'm at in life and, you know, to be at this point and to be, you know, make a good living and, you know, do something I really enjoy and to get to communicate with excellent human beings like you guys. So it's pretty rad. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, thank so you for coming up with it. All right. <laughs> I'm Gavin Hammond. I'm a voice actor. And until next time, keep on dissecting.